back to birthday mode. Is that okay? Uh, Mr. Matthew here. It's uh, Matthew has a very special thing he does at Chuck E. Cheese. He's a big Chuck E. Cheese fan. You don't know that. But uh, Jasper, it's Jasper's birthday day. He's a character at Chuck E. Cheese. We have to sing happy birthday for Jasper today. Is that okay? Let's do it. Because I just don't feel comfortable doing that. 
And I want to open our minds up to the possibility that God might be calling you, might be calling our church, might be calling everyone around us to step into some uncomfortable places to get us outside of our comfort zones. This morning, we have new neighbors, and the new neighbors are really quiet to themselves, and it's okay. I don't mind, you know, that's great, but they're, they're really kind of closed in, and so they don't do a lot of talking and stuff, and I'm more of a talker, so that presents a hot and cold kind of thing, doesn't it? So anyways, but it was funny, he was out on his roof this morning, and I said, I'm going to go talk to this guy, I haven't, and this is a ride. He's at a vulnerable point, he can't run from me. <laughs> so I go over there, hey, neighbor, how's it going? He starts talking to me and getting into that mode, but he got out of his comfort zone, and I got out of my comfort zone. It's a lot easier not to talk to anybody, isn't it? Come on. Stay in our own little worlds, and everything's fine. You mind your business, and I'll mind my business. But we kind of step out of the kingdom of God, and we start to get to a place where we are led by God. There's three things I want us to understand today in being led by God. Stepping forward is the first thing that we're going to be called to do. God stepped, we step out at stepping forward. The second part of it is speaking out. And the third part of it is, and this is the most difficult part, is to share in suffering. And that's going to be a really tough thing for all of us. But the first things first is stepping forward. The first step in getting out of the comfort zone is to step forward. So often we're kind of frozen in the moment as opposed to being kind of active and organic with the Lord. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit, you work, look up the word led, turn to somebody and say, say, are you led? You know, so often we read the Bible, we're good at our Bible reading, we're good at doctrine, we're good at all the information of the Bible. I call it the information part, knowledge, okay? Knowledge is great, but also what knowledge has a tendency to do in the church is it kind of puffs up, doesn't it? We kind of get the knowledge, and then we don't stay in a learning atmosphere. We don't stay in a process of, you know what, I have something to gain. We get this in Bible studies. We get people going to Bible studies, and they don't go there because they say, my, I already know that stuff. Well, that's not even the point of the Bible study. I mean, if we're reading the Word of God, how many of you have read a verse of Scripture Ten years ago, and you read it today, and it means something completely different to you. This isn't about knowledge, folks. This isn't about you knowing more of Scripture. This is about you coming into communion with Christ. There might be a person being led into that meeting to share a word or to share a thought or an idea that wasn't present in that meeting before. So it might not be something that you say, well, I already know this. But it becomes something that you birth yourself into, you bathe in it, and you say, God, I want some of this. I am stepping forward. Here's what we say, I need to step forward. Here's what being led means. It's a present participle in the Greek. It may be translated as this. As many that are continually being led by the Spirit of God. This leading is not to be restricted to objective knowledge of the commands of Scripture though it most certainly includes that. Rather, it is more fully includes the subjective factor of being sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit throughout the day, promptings that have genuinely from the Holy Spirit will never encourage us to act contrary to Scripture. Prompted by God. The other day I was prompted, I was at a Starbucks, and there was a police officer that came in there, and I was prompted just immediately, I don't do this every day of the week, and I'm not doing that to pat me on the back, but I was prompted as a, 
I'm going to buy a cup of coffee for that guy. I went up there, took my wallet out, gave it to the barista. He didn't even see me over there. I said, pay for that man's coffee. It was something that we're prompted to do. That's how promptings happen. It's not just knowledge of Scripture. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says in that moment, Steve Lapp, thou on the first day of the month will buy a police officer's Starbucks. But that's how soon we get. That's how locked in we get. Oh, let me show you small Are you prompted today? And you know, all of us, if we have the spirit of Christ living in us, then that prompting is resonant. It might not be dominant, but it's right there in you. What you have to be willing to do is step out. And so often what we do when it comes to leading in promptings, we go, well, is this God's will or not? Folks, even if it's not God's will, he'll still meet you in the not will moment. Don't we trust in his faithfulness that he'll bring success even when we trip and when we stumble and when we fall? Being prompted of God today, that's where I want this church to be. That's where I want us stepping forward, and that's where I want us to step out of. It's not just to have knowledge of Scripture. We don't have Bible studies in here so that you can go home and say, I know these four more facts now about Scripture. I want us to have Bible studies so that when we leave there, our hearts are on fire. We say, boy, I didn't know that God did this or have that, and I want a piece of that in my life now. Some of us, it might have us do good, and by golly, I'm going to get stoned for saying this, but step away from the Bible for a moment. Take a deep breath and say, God, how am I even reading your word? So what does that mean? Well, are you coming to this scripture with already preconceived notions and ideas? God can't change a bullhead. I'm telling you, he can't. Here's what we say. Are you a bit bullheaded? We get bullheaded. I'm never bullheaded. <laughs> we think we know. And God flips it out on us. And that's why stepping forward is so important. That's where promptings are so important. I'm telling you, there's some stuff this week that the Holy Spirit will lead you and you'll be prompted to do that you wouldn't have normally done had you not been paying attention to it and say, I missed the moment, I missed an opportunity, and it's right there in front of my face. You have things right now this week that are in front of your face that God is calling you to step out in and step forward in and say, here I am, Lord, send me. It's a different process because all of us go to work and we hate things about work. If you hate things about your job today, could you please raise your hand today? Good, four people today. If there are things about your job today that you just don't like, could you raise your hand today? You're going out into a place right now, and you go to those places, and you may not like them, you may not be secure about them, you may have questions, but when you say, Lord, I am being sent out, now God, use me in a very powerful way, it changes the whole dynamic in the atmosphere that you're at. The whole goal is to have atmospheres change, isn't it? As the Spirit leads you out of your comfortable places, here's what you're going to have a head-on collision with, with some inner demons and strongholds in your own mind. You're going to have head-on collisions with your own thoughts about certain things and own dynamics and saying, well, I thought it was this way. You're going to have to do things. You'll be prompted to say, hey, you need to forgive that person right now. You need to let go of that person. You need to let go of that thought. You're prompted by God to say, let go of that. That's what you're going to be hit. Head-on collision. You're going to get a head-on collision with yourself. And that's why Paul says, pick up your cross and follow me. Because those are the moments that are very difficult, and they're stepping forward and stepping out. When Jesus was getting closer and closer to the cross, 
It was his disciples that were saying, hey, we're going to go this way. And his disciples were like, those guys are going to kill you, Jesus. Don't you want to go a different way? No, this is where I need to go. Man, you're going to get taken advantage of. You're going to get beat. No, we've got to keep going this way. When you start stepping out and stepping forward, you're not going to be going to paradise, folks. You're going to be going to the pits of hell. We have it backwards. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. In other words, we are charging after dark things and dark situations, and we're redeeming the situations as opposed to running from them. These places that the Spirit is calling us, they're not pretty places. The places where the Spirit's calling turning point is overrun with darkness. <coughs> they're wastelands. These regions are the forgotten faces. These places hold the key to our future, the bringing of light to darkness. Think about the darkness over Rockford. And what regions of Rockford, what territories is it that God wants to invade once again and says, that's my territory? Folks, I don't know, wherever you see darkness, that's invaded space. Do you know that? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And when we go into places that have been given and trampled over by the enemy, we can be, by the Spirit of God and being led and being prompted, can bring very light things to a dark situation. Here's what's going to have to start happening, though, in our dark places and our families, dark places in our own minds and in our own hearts and our own environments. You're going to have to stop trying harder. You know that? So many of us, how many of you tried a little harder and it didn't work again? I'm going to pray a little harder. Oh, oh, God. doesn't work. You're still in the same junk. Edwin Friedman wrote, in a failure nerve, he said how stamina, not using strategy or technique or data to try harder, is the true engine driving good impact on others' lives. Conceptually, stuck systems cannot become unstuck simply by trying harder. For a fundamental reorientation to occur, that spirit of adventure which optimizes serendipity, which enables new perceptions beyond the control of our thinking, process must first happen. This is equally true regarding families and institutions, whole nations, and entire civilizations. But for that type of change to occur, the system in turn must produce leaders who can both take the first step and maintain the stamina to follow through in the face of predictable resistance and sabotage. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you start to take a stand and step forward, and how many of you have experienced a little resistance before? <laughs> might be yourself, might be a friend, might be someone in your family. You experience the resistance. I kind of call it the peeling apart effect where you start to realize that I no longer am part of that mess anymore. I am stepping out away from it. I am no longer a part of that. He goes on to write, any renaissance anywhere, whether in a marriage or a business, depends primarily not on only new data and techniques, but on the capacity of leaders to separate themselves from the surrounding emotional climate so that they can break through the barriers that are keeping everyone from going the other way. See, there is an emotional climate that's going on in our lives. And I don't know, when I came in here today, the first thing I did is I set that thermostat and I tried changing, I'm sorry tonight, I tried turning it earlier. No, she's standing over there. We're trying to change the climate. 
But those are the barriers that keep people from going out there. It's not just stepping out. Every one of us has had January 1 and said, I've got it, I'm doing it. But now there comes the stamina. You know, the stick to the realization that I am stepping out of the way, that I am going after this one step at a time, one pace at a time. Stepping forward, by the way, is going to require that you separate yourself from the emotional climate that surrounds you. Step away from it. Step away. That's really hard. Yeah, it's very hard to step away. It is always easier to engage. It's always easier to get pulled down. Gravity always pulls us down. But you know what? When you start to step away from the emotional climate of the moment, God can start to free you and he can start to speak to you. God is calling us to step forward into something. Stormy or Martin writes this. Circumstances don't have to be catastrophic or to be overwhelming. Do you know that? You notice that about circumstances? It doesn't have to be catastrophic. We're waiting for the big stories. But for the most part in people's lives, it's not catastrophic events that keep pull people down. It's really just the mundane tasks in life. Some people view public speaking as a terrifying experience. For others, confronting a difficult person. Tell me that's not easy. Having to make a dreaded phone call or facing the daily challenge of an eating disorder or addiction. Fear grips us. Stormy Armani continues to write, any sign of fear should always be a call to prayer. You know that? Perfect love casts out fear. When we come into the presence of God, when you start to be afraid, folks, I'm afraid, I get afraid. I, I, I can tell you I'm the most you know, boisterous, go-getter kind of person. But there are nights, man, I'll just be scared. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah. I love the verse of Scripture that says you won't be scared of the terrors at night. And it's a beautiful promise that God gives us. The moment you feel it, draw immediately to God. By the way, that doesn't show you being a weak person. You know what that shows you? That shows you in all the areas of your life that you're depending upon God in everything in your life. A.W. Tozer wrote The Pursuit of God. The moment we make up our minds that we are going on with this determination to exalt God over other, we step out of the world's parade. We shall find ourselves out of adjustment to the ways of the world, and increasingly so as we make progress in a holy way. We shall acquire a new viewpoint. A new and different psychology will be formed within us. A new power will begin to surprise us by its upsurgings and its outgoings. You know, the world's parade. Maybe you're in the world's parade right now in your own life. You know, the world's parade is not something to... <clears throat> we just need to get away from it. Be in the world, but not of the world. Be separate. And you look at the world's parade from everything from fashion to entertainment to what we do, and we just buy it lock, stock, and barrel. We're just part of the parade. We're part of the system. And the Bible tells us that we need to be completely separate and other, and we get out of the world's parade in our life and develop a whole new psychology. By the way, how are you going to develop that new psychology? By the washing of God's word in your mind. By the washing of God's word. So, man, now you have a new thought about this. Dive into God's word. Number two, speaking out. Speaking out. Watch when he writes, God has chosen the church to be his vessel today. The vessel of his speaking for the manifestation of his power and of his working. How do we speak out today? All the words spoken through the pages of God's word give you a voice. You know why I want you to read God's word? Because it gives you voice to something. 
It gives you something to grab onto. When you're looking at that fearful moment, when you're staring down the barrel of some really tough situation, God gives you boldness in that moment in your life. Watch when he writes, the Bible is more than just words, ideas, and thoughts. Thus, the most outstanding feature of the Bible is that God's spirit is released through this book. They become promises to you. They become special to you. They become something you can give so that you can speak out on behalf of. Sometimes you don't have anything to say, do you? There's nothing. There's no words to it. But you know what? When you have God's spirit, God gives you something to say about that. Watchman Nee goes on to write about a miner, greatly used by God, wrote a book called and seen and heard, in which he relates his experience in preaching the gospel. This is pretty fascinating. Though just an ordinary brother, neither highly educated nor especially gifted, he offered himself wholly to the Lord and was mightily used by him. One thing characterized him. He was a broken man. His spirit was pure. While in a meeting listening to a preacher, he was so burdened for the souls that he asked the preacher for permission to speak. He went to the pulpit, but no words came. His inner man so burned with passion for the souls that his tears gushed forth in torrents. And all he managed to utter was just a few incoherent sentences. Yet God's spirit filled that meeting place. People were convicted of their sins and their lost estate. Here was a young man who was broken, had few words, but when his spirit came forth, the people were mightily moved. Speaking out. Folks, this is the way we preach, and this is the way we speak to a broken, dying world. Say, I don't have much to say. You've got something. I don't have eloquent speech. I don't have the fancy poems. I don't have any of that. You know, there are preachers that I listen to that I literally get intimidated by just listening to them because they just, they're crazy. Guys like T.J., I don't understand where he gets this from. And I'm like, Lord, you know, I wish I could say, Steve, you're Steve. Don't worry about that. But don't we always give ourselves comparisons of people and things? And our ability to speak out and our ability to say things when God puts something in your heart, let him be, let him carry it. Let him be the one to use it. You have no idea the dynamic that your very short words will have for someone in your life. This, folks, is the way to preach. It's the way to speak. Turn real quick to Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. Just one book behind Romans. Acts Chapter 6, verse 4. So how does this church speak? We speak by our outreach. We speak by our love. We speak by cooking a meal for someone. We speak by loving someone. We speak by crying with someone. Acts, verse six, Acts 6, verse 4 says, But we will continue to devote ourselves steadfastly to prayer and the ministry of the word. Everyone say ministry. ministry. So here's what these disciples did. They not only prayed together, but they also ministered together. Ministry in the Greek there means active service done with a willing attitude. Folks, this isn't a come to church Sunday, get plugged in and sign up sheet thing. 
But folks, as long as we are together, the Bible declares that we are to pray together and we're to minister together. That we are to be an active service with a willingness of spirit to say, I'm going to jump in, I'm going to get involved, I want to be a part of this. Every one of us has the ability to minister. This speaking comes in so many forms, but it's wrapped in a servant's heart as you serve those around you. Jesus said this, I didn't come to be served, but to that serving heart, that willingness, not just to receive, to receive, to receive, but maybe God gives you a word today. Maybe God, like the miner, says, hey, I'm putting a burden on you. Stand up and be counted and speak out for this on behalf of him. The way to speak and the way to preach comes in so many different facets. Third thing, sharing in the suffering. This is a hard part. How many enjoy suffering in here today? I don't know about you, but every time we get in suffering, we try to get out of it as quickly as we can. Kyle Edelman writes, Job became a kind of case study of faith and suffering because he nearly lost everything bit by bit. A strong wind knocked down his house and killed his children. But the book of Job was just getting started. In the second chapter, Job lost his health, was infested with sores all over his body. He lost his livestock and all his wealth. His wife's best advice was, curse God and die. Because what good is a God if life doesn't work out for a time? He goes on to write, here's what we find in suffering. There's a deep void that used to be filled with whatever we lost. That could be stuff or even relationships, none of which are bad things. But when it's gone, it leaves an aching cavity, and God is there to fill it up with himself. And every one of us is wanting to avoid suffering. But God will not waste your pain, Kyle Edelman says. And God will work all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And we might have the Job-like experiences. Maybe some of you have gone through those kind of things. Matthew 5, 4 says, God blesses those who mourn. For they will be, what? Comforted. Eugene Peterson, in the message, paraphrased it this way. I love how he writes this. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is the most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. That's the concept of mourning. And somewhere right now, you might be going through suffering, and it's been a very difficult season of your life. I'm telling you, God is there. And he's going to fit things together. And I can't explain it. You know, the first thing I do when I'm working with people in funerals and situations where people have gone through maybe the abrupt loss, and, and I have no idea, man. All I know is that we live in a fallen world. All I know is that this world is not perfect. And all I know is that as far as this side of eternity, we're going to have pain and we're going to have struggles going on in our life. Kyle Eidemann wrote about embracing the pain. We do everything we can to stay away from suffering in the first place. But when we do suffer, which is inevitable, we do everything we can to stay away from mourning. Then when we catch ourselves mourning, we do all in our power to make it go away. We numb ourselves with entertainment. We medicate the pain with drinking or shopping or working or partying. It's a grim quest to turn that frown upside down. But we are convinced that's what it means to be blessed. Everyone experiences loss. Everyone mourns. But those who follow Jesus find their pain is not wasted. There is a blessing that seems totally illogical. It requires climbing to the bottom of the deepest pit without a flashlight, venturing far into darkness, but the blessing is there. And folks, it's worth everything. 
And I don't know what you go through. I think of the pit that Joseph went into. I told you one of the men of the faith that I want to go meet, first things first, is Joseph in the Old Testament. I want to say, how did you keep it together, bud? I mean, there are so many other people, but I think of Joseph and how he was slighted, thrown into the pit, went back to the pit, and he kept faithful to Christ. He was one of the only few men of the faith that didn't fall away, if you will. And I don't know when to fall. He had a moment that's not scripted in there. But man, he stayed together in that. I was watching Ben-Hur. I went to that movie the other week with my mom. <laughs> Very crazy movie. Not like the old Ben-Hur. And I'm not a big movie proponent person, but I tell you, it's a fantastic movie. Deeply violent. But I'll never forget the moment when he walked in there and he walked out into that slave ship and he was taken away from his family, everything taken away from him. He had privilege, everything. And the guy takes him down there and he's walking down into the pit of the ship that's going to be rowing. And you see a man who had not been in any environment like this before comes into a deep, dark place and he's begging the guy, you've got me wrong, I'm not supposed to be here. And he goes down into a pit that he never signed up for. How many of you have been in pits? You have to raise your hand. But you did sign up for that. It doesn't make sense. Second Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 7, gives us a really good pattern of thinking that we're to have in these times. And this is the time where the church needs to put away their hallmark cards. I've said that a million times, so that everyone just is happy. This is a time where we gather together and we cry together, we band together, we pray together, and we minister together. But one thing that we're called to do as believers is we're called to enter into each other's pain, aren't we? 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7 says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we shared abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you a patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Folks, when we go through suffering, how many of you know God starts bringing people in your way and in your situation that you can provide comfort for them because you've known it, you've been there, you have been in that situation, and you can provide them something. The pain is not wasted. I mean, you hear the testimonies and the stories. I think of Rockford Pregnancy Care Center is just getting ready to launch their fall campaign of women who have been in those deep, dark, suffering moments. And now God is blessing them with the opportunity to minister to other young women who are now in a deep, dark moment of their life to provide them hope. And that's what it's all about. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that one reason, so that we can be of comfort to others. We had a gentleman come through this and it kind of opened up a new reality to me. And you know problems are going on, but how many know you? You shield yourself from the problems that go on around you. You avoid them. We had a gentleman come through our front doors. His name was Robert. Retired age. Comes in. And I was standing over here. I kind of met him over there to see what he had come in after church. And you could tell he, he needed some help and situation. We brought him into the cafe. He says, you know what, Pastor? He goes, he's hungry. He's a diabetic. He kind of listed kind of what he was going through. I'm like, Lord, this is, we're supposed to be, you know, the crazy thing is the church is supposed to be a hospital. Isn't that amazing? 
We're supposed to attract those in need and help. We're sitting in the cafe and we gave him some sandwiches and just different things. And he's got an appointment with his doctor coming up. And it kind of opened, man, I'm looking at a guy who could potentially, he could be my dad, he could be my brother, he could be my nephew, he could be any one of my family members. Taking him home, just a neat guy, lived in Rockford his whole life. It's like, you know, Pastor, he goes, I mean, I, I have a bag of clothes. He goes, I had worn these clothes, I've worn them for two days. He goes, I've got laundry that hasn't been washed. And I, we helped him out, gave him a little bit of laundry. So my dad gave him some money, we dropped him off. We're talking to them, and for that whole week after, I didn't think about nothing but Robert. Isn't that crazy how God does that? Put something in your life. Thank God for the Roberts in our life to wake us up. Sitting there, I'm like, you know, the whole thing that sparked me, I'll never forget Steve. He was in charge of another ministry through Faith Center, and he said, Steve, you know, Rockford's got a lot of food, but you know what it needs a lot of? It needs a lot of toiletries, it needs feminine products, it needs diapers, because WIC doesn't cover those things. You know, we've got to think practically how things are working. We can fill the vats with food, but food's okay. I said, you know what, this laundry thing, it's kind of crazy. I'm just going to throw this out there. I was telling Robert, I told my wife a few weeks ago, I'm like, you know, that really stinks not being able to do your own laundry, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I, I put a new shirt on every twice a day. <laughs> I'm like, you know, we could, the Bible says to share in each other's burdens. How, how are we doing that at Turning Point? Thinking outside the box. I'm like, you know, I was driving past Maybright. I was going my way to practice with Hunter. And you remember the old Maybright restaurant right down here? It's vacant now. Like, you know what we could do? You know what we could do? I'm just throwing this out there and maybe we go. Why can't we start a nonprofit laundry mat? Get some machines, five washers. I'm picturing all of this. We could get five washers, we could get five dryers. We could work through West Middle School and work for those moms who are raising kids who are putting stinky clothes on them, soiled clothes. Why don't we allow them to make maybe three days a week with volunteers? We could stand there with them and come in at certain times of the day. We can't do unlimited stuff because we can't solve all the problems in Robert, but we can sure by golly minister to these people. It wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility to take that building and, you know, use that building for a nonprofit laundry service. We could get soap coming out. We could get donations for soap. My golly, we live in, we live in America. <laughs> Not comfortable, is it? I don't know if we do it. I don't know, but we have got to get outside these cute walls. We have to affect broken people. We have to get people understanding when you see the good Samaritan and what he did and how he got out of the comfort zone, he had a business meeting to get to. He had things to do. I don't need to raise your hand, but how many got business meetings and things to do? It can affect the Roberts. I don't know how. Maybe that's not the idea, but I can't get the idea out of my head. How do you know until you step out? We can pray for three years about this. How do we affect the city? And I want us as a family to think, take this thing out and say, 
we got problems to solve, and God's sitting up there waiting, and guess who else is sitting? We're waiting. Oh, boy, I don't know what God's going to do. we got so many problems in the city. we got to change this. Oh, I man, that's so horrible. Rockford's so horrible. Turn somewhere and say, Rockford's so horrible. <laughs> Crime rates, bad people are horrible. Did you see, did you read that article there? Yes! We live in a dark city, but we have the hope within us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want us to be led and prompted and not so doctrinally astute and straight up that we can't think outside a box anymore. Now that was uncomfortable, wasn't it? May we never forget this about God comforting us in our suffering. May we never forget that he comfort us and that we're to bless those around us through some trouble. I don't know about you, but I had some favors in my life. Let me share you comforts and situations in my life. My grandpa helped us start our business as we branched out. Wouldn't have had my business without my grandpa. Providing a down payment for a first part of our business. He came in and he said, I'm going to share with that. Got into our house. If it weren't for my grandpa, I wouldn't have my house. It weren't for my parents who let me and Anne stay there for six months so we can get enough money for the down payment. We wouldn't have our house. They shared in it. They shared in it. And as we're prompted and we're led, we will sacrifice here. We will sacrifice. And we will feel the pain of people again. And we will not medicate ourselves with our cute lifestyle and act like it's not there and act like someone else will make it go away because it's not going away. We must be prompted We must be prompted. And God will use tough situations. Bearing one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2 and 3. Don't turn there, but it says, Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. I want us to engage. Thank you. God will use tough conditions. I gotta make a little fun story. Let's get back to the fun. Everybody like wine in here? Okay, good. Get that out of the tape. In the wine column of the Washington Post, wine expert Ben Gilberti once explained the fundamental difference between superior wines and the so-called bulk vintages. Great wines come from low-yielding vineyards planted in marginal climates in the poorest soil. Did you know that? That's the great ones. Though hard on the vines, these tough conditions are good for the wine. Because vines that are stressed must work harder to produce fruit 
which leads to fewer but more concentrated and flavorful grapes. By contrast, the vines used for bulk wines have it easy. They are planted in the fertile soils and ideal climates of regions such as California's Central Valley. Valley. Such regions are great for producing tons of grapes to fill up the bulk fermentation tanks, but not at all great for producing the complex, intense flavors needed to make great wine, because wines are not stressed, and the yields are way too high. If you think about the kingdom of God, and we're in an area right now that is highly stressed, and not good soil, for the model of church building. But we're right. It's right. It's right. It's good. It's low yielding. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It means what we're doing is we're producing more complexity, more flavor. When you start diving into the story of people's lives that have been forgotten, you start to realize there's something good there. There's something flavorful. There's something unique. There's something special to this. We have something special. And the minute our eyes are open to understanding, in the moment where we're at, in 2016, we're in a very special moment of our lives that has the ability to provide increase and something that we've never tasted before. It's a beautiful thing. You know, the thing of it is, you've got to develop a taste for really good things too, don't you? You know, there are things that I enjoy now that I didn't enjoy when I first tried it. Coffee's one of them. Coffee's got great complexities and all those things. But when I first had coffee, it didn't taste too good, did it? What are we drinking here? But we do have to share in the suffering. And we do have to share in the burden. And our governments are not going to solve problems that the city is facing. And the church can continue to make its buildings look prettier and prettier and give crazy amounts of income to their staff without touching the general populace. We have got it backwards. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment? Today, I, I want to say this very specifically, and it's a bold task. We're all called to step forward. I, I don't want this to be that, but if God is specifically shaking you, quaking in your heart today, I'm not going to have a call and response of you just lifting your hand. I want you to step forward to the call of Christ in your life. I want you to come up here and join me. Today, maybe God's calling you to step forward. He's calling you to commit into something. It's going to require you not just stepping forward, but it's going to require you to have stamina. It's going to require you to get away from the environmental culture, if you will, of your situation. Today, God's speaking to you through his Holy Spirit, and he's leading you, and he is prompting you. I want you to come on up here and join me and slip up here.
Father, you're calling us today, these individuals, Father, specifically, about the leading and the prompting. And Lord, we just don't want to have more knowledge. We've got plenty of that. But Holy Spirit, we ask that you would call us out of our comfort zones. You would call us out to a place, God, that is going to require faith. And it's going to require that we do something that we're normally not accustomed to doing. And that's the hardest part. And so God, I pray first of all that you would bless their hands, bless their feet. God, as they scatter seed, the good news, by speaking out, by ministering, by blessing, Lord, I pray that you would just make a way where there was no way. Lord, I thank you for their willingness to stand and willingness to step out. And as our whole church now speaks over them, Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, that no weapon formed against them will prosper as they do this. And Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you're doing a new thing and that you're prompting us in a new way. In Jesus' name.